It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, the guys didn't have a chance to, um, but I'll just say on their behalf, I hope they don't mind, but the, the CU committee in particular just wanted to thank the church for all of the prayer, all of the support that you guys have been giving them, because without that, those prayer warriors that have been behind them, they just would not have been able to achieve what they achieved. So give yourselves a big round of applause, guys. Oh, come on. If you don't know me, I'm Harry. Uh, I'm the student guy. I am married to uh, Bonnie, um, who has gone to Sawtown to Nappy. One of the privileges of preaching means that I'm, I'm absolved of nappy duty. Uh, I've got three kids. The oldest is Isaac, the middle is Phoebe, and the youngest is Olive, who you might hear heckling me throughout the course of this, um, this preach. Um, and they are wonderful, and I'm definitely going to be picking David Rayner's brain later for parenting tips that he has. <clears throat> Father, we just come before you now ready to receive your word. We pray that you would come by your spirit and just water whatever that, that which might be hard. Make it soft and fertile ground for your word to come and grow. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you could get the PowerPoint up, I would be most grateful. We're going to be looking at faith in tough times, something that inspires enthusiasm and passion. And, um, and we're going to read one story from Mark 6, okay? Um, um, uh, it'll come up on the screen. Yeah. It says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed, uh, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Now, this is a great story for us to unpack, um, because... These guys, they're heading into a storm. Um, and <clears throat> there are many things that we could talk about with this story. We could talk about the fact that, that Jesus was walking on the water. That's a miracle in and of itself, isn't it? We could talk about the fact that, that Jesus comes and he steps into the boat, and as soon as he steps into the boat, the storm dies down. We're not going to talk about that. We could talk about the fact that Jesus comes and he speaks courage into his disciples. You know, the words of Jesus are more than a vibration on the air. They are something that comes and brings power into each one of our lives. I could talk about that, but I'm not going to because we don't have enough time. I'm going to look at the loaves. Everyone say, look at the loaves. Okay, because in here is a truth that was so important for the disciples to understand, okay? But before we do that, we're just going to talk about storms, 
okay? Because storms in the Bible can be an analogy for the difficult times that we face in our lives. I think that there are about four types of storms that um, we go into. One are the Jesus-led storms. There we go. The wilderness, okay? We know that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, okay? In fact, in this storm, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat knowing full well what was going to happen. Made, forced them, kicking and screaming. Sounds like me trying to get the kids in the car this morning. Okay? There's the the Holy Spirit-led, the Jesus-led storms where Jesus leads us into these tough times. There are the uh, me-led storms, I'm calling it. These are the ones that are a result of our stupid decisions. Maybe it's some path of sin, maybe it's ignorance, maybe it's a lack of patience, a lack of wisdom, I don't know, but there are these me-led storms that we get into. There are the enemy-led storms that we get into. The enemy is here to steal, to conquer, and to destroy. I was listening to um, a book by Dallas Willard, and he was saying that the, the enemy is really after the people that know and love Jesus. He's, he is so after them more than any other kinds of people in the world because he wants to rob you of everything that you've got. Every possible benefit that you can have with your relationship with Jesus, he wants to steal and strip it away from you. And he'll lead us into those storms to, to try and do that. And then lastly, there are the, the life storms. Life can just be hard. Weather patterns can get out of control. There's drowning, there's floods, there's famine. There's nations that come to war each other. And we can talk about all of the spiritual powers that are behind that. But, but life can just be messy because of other people's stupid mistakes as well. And that leads us into these time storms. And what's interesting in this story is that we read how they were completely amazed, the disciples. They were completely amazed that they had not understood about the loaves. Their heart was hard. Okay, what is a hard heart? Uh, the heart in the Bible is the seat of decision-making. The, the uh, Jews uh, didn't have the same science that we had. They didn't know that the brain was where our rational thought took place. So they believed that it was the heart. So when the Bible talks about the heart, it is that seat of emotion, that seat of decision-making. And, and when the Bible talks about a hard heart, you're basically saying that there is nothing that can penetrate into your heart to change it. And so when God says, you have a hard heart, it means, I can't get in. I can't get in. You've set up these walls. You've put stone around your heart so that I can't come in and transform your life. There is hardness of heart. And this is what ha- is happening with the disciples. And, and this, is, this is why we're going to look at the loaves. Everyone say, look at the loaves. Okay, because what this verse tells us is that if we don't understand the story of the loaves, our hearts get harder. And if you are here today, if you are listening today, I do not think that you want your hearts to get harder. 
So what is the story of the loaves? This is a really, really important story. The feeding of the 5,000. And this is, I believe, only, is one of only two stories that are repeated in each of the four Gospels. The only other one is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This story is repeated in every single Gospel. This is, this is foundational for the disciples and their understanding of who Jesus is. So Jesus is teaching. He's bringing his wisdom to the crowds. <clears throat> And it starts getting late. Might be a bit like us today if I get too carried away. It's getting late. And the disciples, they come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, Jesus, you're making a bit of a mistake here, buddy. It's getting late. Nobody's got food. You didn't tell them to bring food with them. Bit of an administration error there. I think you should, you should just send them away. Just send them away. Jesus says, well, what have you guys got? What have you guys got to give? And they said, we've got five loaves and we've got two fish. Jesus stands and he blesses them and he gives it to the disciples. And the disciples then start administering this to the group of 5,000 people. Some say that there could have been more than 10,000 people there. It doesn't matter. He fed thousands of people with five fish, uh, five bread, five loaves and two fish. It's a miracle. Whether it's 5,000 or 10,000, it's a flipping miracle, isn't it? And so the disciples are there giving and giving and giving, and it just keeps on replicating. It just doesn't stop. And at the end, there are 12 baskets full of extra bread and extra fish. People talk about, don't they? They say, ah, well, you know, 5,000 people. They're not everyone is is as silly as Jesus. They, They would have brought their own food along with them, wouldn't they? And they're just sharing out of the overflow of what they've got. But this story that we've just read in the storm, says that the disciples didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand the miracle that had taken place, and it had hardened their heart. This was a miracle of the highest order. And so the disciples, they're in this storm. They're they're in this time of need, of desperation, of great danger. And they've just witnessed Jesus. They've just participated in Jesus feeding 5,000 people. And their hearts go hard. And they think they're going to die. They didn't understand. See, Jesus comes to invade and to break in and transform our hearts and the way that we look at reality at the way that we look and experience the world. Jesus had just revealed himself to the disciples as the God who provides. Yahweh Yaira is what the Bible talks of. The first time it's when, when God brings um, the, the ram for Isaac's substitution when Abraham was, was uh, sacrificing his son. And Jesus comes and demonstrates this to these disciples here, and they didn't understand They didn't get it at all. You see, God's got great things for us when we have no ingredients. God has great things for us when there are no ingredients. God brings something forth. Jesus comes and brings something new when there is seemingly nothing there whatsoever to work with. 
But here's the problem. We only learn this about Jesus when we're in the storms. We only learn this about Jesus when our cupboards are bare and empty. When the danger comes, when there's the scarcity, when there's the crisis, when there's the difficult times, only then can we understand Jesus is our Lord and our provider. God wants to grow our faith. Thank goodness that the beginning of our journey when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior isn't the end point. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow. And and one of the ways that he does is he stretches our faith. Uh, Jesus teaches us, Lord, lead us not into temptation. That word temptation isn't a great translation because it's do not lead me into the time of testing. It's a childlike prayer. God, please, don't let me go through the difficult times. That is an okay prayer to pray. Dallas Willard, who um, is a great guy, if you've not heard of him, then, uh, sorry, that was for the feeding of the 5,000. He talks about there being a faith of desperation, okay? And this is what the tough time leads us into. It's, it's this trusting faith, a faith that digs in, holds on, clings tight and says, I don't care what's going to happen. I am holding on to God, no matter what. That is the faith of desperation. We see that in the life of Job. Job, who is the, the, the man who's after God, and the enemy comes before God and says, you know, look at, look at this guy here. He only likes you, God, because you give him good stuff. You take away the good stuff, and he's going to curse you. And that's an important question. Do we love God because he gives us good stuff, or do we love God because he's God? And it's only in the fullness of that relationship, only in the fullness of that understanding that we can have everything that we need and live in the maturity of that relationship. I don't love Bonnie because she's a good cook or because she's beautiful or because she gives me good things. I love her because she's Bonnie. Okay? And God wants us to have that same relationship with him. But he doesn't want us just to stay in this faith of desperation. He wants us to progress to what Dallas Willard calls the faith of sufficiency. The faith that says, regardless of what happens, it doesn't matter. I have God, and that is all I need. That is all I need. It reminded me of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were taken away to to the empire of Babylon. And they were told that they needed to bow down before a statue of the king and worship it. And they said no. So they were threatened with fire and furnace, and they still said no. And they said, our God will save us. And even if he does not, we will not bow down. The faith of sufficiency. It doesn't matter. I have God, and that is all I need. And there are examples littered throughout Scripture of this. Abraham, no ingredients, no ingredients at all. God says, you're going to have a son. He's in his 90s. His wife is the same. Look at the loaves. 
God does great things when there's no ingredients. Joseph, sold into slavery, ended up in prison, the lowest of the low, no ingredients. Look at the loaves, elevated to the highest position that he could within Egypt. Moses and the people of Israel, 40 years Moses was in the wilderness, bruised, battered, humbled beyond belief. No ingredients whatsoever for something great to come forth. Look at the loaves. Mary, you're going to bear a child. By the way, he's going to be the son of God. And you're not going to go about it in the regular way. You're not going to conceive in the regular way. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. No ingredients. Boom. Jesus. Jesus dead, hanging on a cross. His leaders, his disciples, littered, hopeless, devoid of, of any future whatsoever. No ingredients. Three days later, resurrection power. And the bringing forth of the Holy Spirit to empower each one of them and you and me to bring his kingdom to the world. No ingredients. Look at the loaves. Paul. I don't think it was a case of no ingredients with Paul. I think it was just all the wrong ingredients with Paul. And yet, look at the loaves. The profound change that Paul has had on the world, on you and me. God can do great things when there's no ingredients. But it's only when our cupboards are bare and the storms come that we're able to see that. Now, I could unpack this further. I could um, take you through several points. I could talk about how it's important to do silence and solitude. I could talk about how it's important to be set in a community, how to be in prayer and be in the Word and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not going to do that. We're going to do something a little bit different for this practical outworking of this. We are going to ask someone in the congregation to come forward and just share what they've been going through lately. Does that sound good to you guys? So please, with uproarious applause, let's welcome Miriam Smith. <laughs> We're just going to sit up here, Miriam. We're up here. Yeah, we've got, we've got posh seats, Miriam. Here you go. Move yourself down. So just give us a wave in, if you're in the room and you've known Miriam for more than 10 years. More than 10 years. Okay, and keep your hands raised if you would say, Miriam is a godly woman, full of integrity, a pillar of this church. You know, <clears throat> if there were more people in this world like Miriam, the world would be a better place. Do, do we agree? So for those of you that um, don't know who you are, um, just tell us a bit how you came into the church. How long have you been part of this church now? Um, since 83, 84. 83, 84. It's a long time then. I'm not going to figure out the maths. Am I on? There we go, yeah. 
and before that, you were you were kind of connected, um, being in a church in Brantford, weren't you, where Brian yeah. and Carrie had yeah. drawn the churches together yeah. there. I was just thinking, actually, that um, uh, with so many students here, um, I knew Carrie Jones when I was a student. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's how far back. Wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. A long time ago. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. That's all right. More people in the world like Miriam. We're okay. We're okay. <laughs> um, so um, just tell us a little bit about um, what was taking place with you and Steve in the, in the last kind of time that you guys were around together, if that's all right. Uh, yeah, well, um, for those who don't, did, don't know Steve or didn't know Steve, um, he... Uh, we were married for 45 years, and about 10 years ago, he had um, uh, health issues in as much as he got septic arthritis in his hip and ended up in hospital, um, and that led to sepsis, and he was very ill for quite a while. Um, and because of the infection in his hip, they had to remove his hip. Um, and then they wouldn't give him a replacement because they were paranoid about um, infection. Um, and so for the last 10 years of his life, he, he lived without a hip. So he was quite disabled. Um, um, but he could do most things for himself and he could get around with support. Um, needed a little bit of help from me, but not a lot. And then two years ago, he had a fall and broke his femur. Um, and as a consequence of that, um, he had great difficulty. Uh, well, he couldn't even stand. He couldn't put his weight on it at all. So for the last 12 months of his life, he was very confined to the house. Um, and I had to do basically everything uh, in the house and for him. Um, and uh, so it didn't look like there was going to be any change in our lives unless God did a miracle or promoted him to glory. And mm -hmm. basically it was the latter. Um, and it's uh, exactly a year ago wow. that he passed away into glory. Wow. Um, you have just been uh, an inspiration over the course of the last 10 years with how you have um, cared for and, and, and just been the best wife that you could be to Steve. But with you, with you going through that, it couldn't have been an easy time seeing your husband um, going through that kind of suffering and not being able to um, just to make him fully better, uh -huh. and even in calling out to God to, and not seeing him restored to full health. How, how was that for you? you know, how did you get through that? What, was the, what were the things that really pulled you through? Um, okay, so I, I guess it was quite frustrating. Um, but I had to um, ask God what he was teaching me with it. And um, believe that he, it was for a purpose, and that he was teaching us things. And uh, I felt in that period I learned a heck of a lot about patience and tolerance, 
and coping with disappointment um, and just trusting him mm. um, and knowing that he's a good God yeah. despite uh, what circumstances appeared to be. Yeah. Did, did you find yourself um, in, the, in the kind of the bad moments um, almost in that, in that place of complaining to God and being like, God, why aren't you just doing something here? Why can't I know that you're capable, but, but why? Um, I think it's really, as you were uh, explaining before, that um, it's a faith of sufficiency in God mm. and knowing that God is sufficient, whatever you're going through. Yeah. Um, just his presence mm. and just knowing that I could rely on him mm. um, and that he's a good God, yeah. uh, regardless of what circumstances look like. Yeah. Um, so you said that um, that Steve died a, a year ago, but to, to many of us in the, in the community here, it came as a bit of a surprise. We know that he'd been unwell, but it did come as a bit of a shock. How how was it for you just going through going through that? Um, yeah, it was it was unexpected um, because he died of um, heart failure. And nobody saw that coming. Um, he'd been in hospital uh, with an infected foot, actually. Uh, but he'd had a full um, health service <laughs> while he was in there. And um, all the consultants that he was under for different things um, had seen him and been fully monitored. Um, so we thought everything was fine, um, and so it, that happened very suddenly. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, yes, uh, it, it was a shock, um, and and certainly to having spent forty-five years together, um, it was a shock to be on my own. Mm. But. Um, God was there with me in it. Mm. And, and the comfort of knowing that Steve had gone to a better place uh, where he didn't have all that physical restraint, um, that was comforting to know. Mm. Um, and it, it was a situation that just kind of forced me back into God's arms and uh, know his support, especially when it... it because it all happened um, during COVID and lockdown. So it was very difficult for people to gather around mm. and, you know, give you that um, um, comfort and, and have people around you all the time. So it was very much thrown upon God. <laughs> yeah. Um, who came through for me fantastically. And um, I just had to... Um, I just had more time, I suppose, if you like, to spend time with God and just take my relationship with him to another level. Mm. Um, and uh, just know him um, as a friend and a companion so that I, I, was, I never felt I was alone. Mm. I never felt, I'd never lived on my own before, so it was a new experience, but um, I never felt alone. Wow. That's incredible. I remember, because um, it was in the, as you say, the throes of lockdown, 
that we had a, an online prayer and praise because that was all we, we weren't allowed to come and gather mm, together. Mm. And uh, I, I remember that you were there and David was there and Josie Foreman as well mm. were there. And you'd just been through this traumatic stuff, mm. but you'd just made a decision to come and worship God mm. for who he was mm. in the face of everything that mm. you, had, you had met. And it was, for, for us here in the room anyway, it was very, very emotional and just how you how you were making such good de- decisions and choices in the throes of all that. So, mm-hmm. oh, just amazing, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But more than uh, well, a, a year on hmm. now, and you've had a year of kind of dealing with the shock of being on your own, um, and uh, how, how has that been for you? How, have, how has God met you in, in this kind of different, difficult moment? Um, well, I think because... Um, for 45 years, I kind of dedicated my life to Team Steve um, because we were, we were a team, but he was the one in the spotlight and I was the one um, behind him and very happy to stay there <laughs> um, and hide behind him, really, because he was a big fella and he was... Um, a larger-than-life character. He was indeed, It wasn't difficult to hide behind him, really. Um, So I guess, you know, with him gone, um, I felt really kind of exposed Mm. because um, there was no no hiding place. Mm. Um, And it kind of caused me to um, reassess my own life and what I was doing, and it, it would have been very easy just to think, well, um, you know, my work's done, um, I'm retired, I'll just sit back and relax, and I'll look after the family, uh, look after the grandchildren, do what I can to help there, um, and just sit back and hang my boots up, really. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I look around at older saints in the um, community here. I mean, I look at John and Julia, and I look at Jeff and Pam, and I think, well, they're not hanging their boots up. <laughs> um, you know, I can't really do that. Um, God, God has got things for me to do. Yes. Um, even though... Um, what I've been doing for all those years had evaporated. Um, you know, there were still things that God wants wants me to do, me personally. So I had to kind of look at my life um, and, and think about where I was going. And really, I think I said to you before, to find myself mm. because I, I was this backup I was the Steve backup, um, but I had to find myself, really. So the last year has really been um, a journey, um, finding myself and finding um, what are the things that I like to do, what, what are the um, things I like to eat. Um, you know, I, I don't want to just habitually do what I've done for 45 years. Um, and so, so that's been a voyage of discovery, 
Um, and now I'm at the point where um, I'm comfortable with my, who I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I know who I am. Um, and I just want to know what God wants to do with me now. Mm. What, what is his purpose uh, for the rest of my life? Um, so, so one of the things that God has been um, uh, rekindling in me, I suppose, um, is my love for languages, and particularly Spanish. So I've been able to do a Spanish group and mm-hmm. try and help other people with their Spanish. Um, so that is something that God planted in me years and years ago. And obviously as a student, when I studied that, um, but like a lot of women, particularly in my generation, I think we put um, our, uh, we, we sacrifice our dreams and aspirations when we get married because we want to have a family and we want to raise children and all that gets put on the back burner. Um, so God has been rekindling that in me now. And um, um, I just, you know, have a real desire to be able to use that mm-hmm. um, in some shape or form. So it was quite a shock to me when um, Kerry and Carol were here um, a few months ago. And Carol just said in passing to me, oh, uh, Cuba's waiting for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, because, you know, I've we've had that connection with Cuba for so many years now and I've always wanted to go but never had the opportunity. Um, so that just, um, you know, re- really um, confirmed something that God was doing in me. Um, and then I believe Kerry's also mentioned Cuba and my name <laughs> and, and that just blows my mind really mm. that, he should do that. And so I'm very excited about that, but absolutely terrified <laughs> at the same time. Uh, and because those people in my Spanish group will tell you how rusty my Spanish is. But I, I just want uh, to be able to use it in some way yeah. um, for God's purpose. And um, about 10 years ago, I did go to Valencia, was invited there, and um, had the opportunity to speak to the church very briefly. And I, w- I was amazed um, at the words that God put in my mouth right. and the things that um, I was able to say. So I know that I can trust God, um, even though I am um, i don't trust myself at all. <laughs> but I know I can trust him. Oh, brilliant. And I, um, <clears throat> when I phoned Miriam, to ask her if she would be willing to be interviewed just to share this stuff. Um, your, your gut reaction was there. Uh, ah! And uh, I said, is, is this okay with you? Are you comfortable? You went, no. No, I am not comfortable. But, and then you said about God had told you not to take a back seat anymore. Mm-hmm. But now is the time for you to come and to share your life and to encourage people mm-hmm. in, in their walk as well. So Miriam, absolutely amazing superstar. What you've got, hundred odd people here now. Um, what encouragement 
would you give to folks here today if they're going through mm. tough times? Uh, well, certainly, um, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. Mm. And I've proved that so many times in my life. Um, you just need to um, trust him completely. Know that he's um, got your back. Know that he's for you. Mm. Um, that he has um, amazing things for you. Um, and just to trust him completely and know that he's completely reliable. Yes. Um, uh, and just develop your relationship with him and um, be a friend. Let him be your friend, be a friend to him. Um, one thing that struck me was how he wants us to be honest with him about mm. how we feel. Um, he can handle that, you know. <laughs> if you're not, if, if, if you're frustrated and, and cross, um, let him know. You know, don't be afraid to let him know. If you look at Psalms, um, it's full of um, people expressing their feelings, yeah. not afraid um, to, to tell God. And, and in many ways, when we pretend to God and, we, and we're not honest with him, it, it's actually ourselves that we're deceiving. Um, you know, we need to be honest with ourselves yeah. as to how we're feeling. Um, and I think that, you know, that's really helpful if we can do that. Oh, yeah, and the other thing was um, that dead dreams can live, oh, you know. Good. And even though um, you may have spent many years frustrated and wondering when God is going to do something, um, you can, you know, if, if he can do something with me at my time of life, then, you know, you've got nothing to worry about, you know, but just... Keep pressing into God and just trusting Him, um, because you know you can trust Him to to um, fulfil uh, any promises that He's made you. Anything, anything that He's put in your heart, yeah. He will fulfil. Amen, amen. Well, what we're going to do now is, if it's possible, um, I'd like you all to stand, because what we're going to do is, um, as the musicians come up here. We're just going to ask Miriam to, to pray over the congregation of people here. Um, I believe that Miriam is carrying a special anointing, um, an anointing for people that, are, that <clears throat> just need to receive something from God here today, that are going through those tough times. And Miriam is just going to pray for everyone here. Father, well, I just want to thank you for everything that you've been to me uh, in these last 12 months, Lord, and more. Father, I thank you that <clears throat> you are completely trustworthy. Yes. I thank you, Lord, that for whatever anybody here uh, is going through, Lord, Father, that if they just put their hand in your hand and know, Lord, that you will lead them. And you will help them, Lord, to overcome in whatever circumstances they find themselves, Lord. If 
that you can lift them uh, far above those circumstances and they can be overcomers. Mm. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here, Lord, that they will be uh, ready to put their hand in your hand, Lord, to know you as their friend and their guide and their and, and a rock, Lord, that is completely dependable. Yeah. Lord, I just pray for each one, for whatever it is they're going through, Lord, uh, that you would do that for them, that you would be everything that they need. You are the God of sufficiency. Amen. Lord, we trust you uh, with everything in our lives, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.